Welcome to the South Plains Church of Christ podcast. To stay up to date on what's going on and how you can be involved, visit southplains.info. I pray that this message reveals God's truth and love to you today. Let's dive in. considering uh, what we've called initial steps in following Jesus because we may be familiar with the uh, terminology just uh, trust in Jesus or maybe even as we sang in a song earlier just surrender surrender to Jesus as Lord and and pretty much everybody agrees well obviously if, if the first would step would be that you believe in who Jesus is and 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 what he's done for you as we've as we've mentioned we celebrated in uh, in communion together uh, it, it is the first thing that Paul said to that jailer when he said, believe in Jesus Christ and you'll, you'll be rescued. We also concur that the next step in surrendering to Jesus is to repent of sin. Jesus said himself, if you don't repent, you will, you will perish, you'll be destroyed. Not that he expects us to be perfect, but we, we are to make turn. We are significantly to make decisions to turn, to walk towards Jesus in our behavior and in our attitude. And we also acknowledge the step of professing faith or confessing Jesus before, before others. As Paul told the Romans, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. But when we come to the step of baptism, there is some disagreement about that. Uh, there's controversy about who should be baptized. Uh, should infants be baptized or should only those old enough to make a personal decision? There is uh, disagreement about how a person should be baptized. Some completely immerse a person in water. Others would sprinkle or pour water over the head of someone. But perhaps the greatest disagreement is over the purpose of baptism. The controversy really arose because of the significance of baptism being exaggerated in the past. During what we call the Dark Ages, uh, when it was accepted that all people were born in uh, original sin, it was called, it became the practice to baptize babies soon after they were born so their sins could be forgiven and, and obviously have the hope of life forever but people began to trust in their baptism for their salvation and it didn't matter how they lived or didn't matter what they believed after all their parents had had them baptized as christians when they were born anytime i think of that i'm, I'm reminded of a, a ukrainian immigrant from the uh from the late 80s named Yaakov Smirnov, who said, Coming from the Soviet Union, I was not prepared for the incredible variety of products offered in American stores. He said, While on my first shopping trip to a grocery store, I saw powdered milk. Just add water, you got milk. And then I saw powdered orange juice. Just add water, you have orange juice. And then I saw it. Baby powder. <laughs> and I thought to myself, 
What a country! What I'm afraid of is that sometimes people leave the impression that if you just take a sinner, add water, and boom, you got a Christian. You've got a disciple of Jesus. But the truth is that when Martin Luther and others rediscovered the during the Reformation, the doctrine of salvation by grace through faith, they correctly rejected the notion that baptism automatically saves you. But in reacting against that, some allowed the pendulum to swing too far in the opposite direction and say that you are saved by faith in Christ, and there's nothing that you do to receive His grace. There's nothing you do to surrender to Jesus as Lord. So this morning, as we've just sung, I would like for us to spend some time looking into the ancient words, the scriptures, and what they say about baptism as it relates to our surrendering to Jesus as Lord, as our response to the wonderful grace of Jesus Christ offered to us. So a few things. One, when did baptism originate? Well, the practice of immersing people in water uh, in the New Testament is first seen with a man named John, who was a predecessor of Jesus. Now, I remind you again, these have been topical messages, and I'm going to go from place to place. I encourage you to note that, read the context, uh, and I do, I'm doing my best not to take anything out of context. This is first found in, in Mark chapter 1, verse 4, where John came, it says, baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The word translated baptizing means to immerse in water, to dip in water. John was dipping people in water as a sign that they were changing their behavior, that they were, in fact, repenting. In the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verse 23, John, it says, also was baptizing at Anon near Salem because there was plenty of water and people were constantly coming to be baptized. Now, there were some religious groups who, uh, among the Jews who had ceremonial washings uh, in order to, uh, to be part of their sect or whatever it may be. The Essenes were one of them. But baptism was so unique to John's ministry that they nicknamed him John the Baptist, the baptizer. John, the one who is noted for immersing people in water. And in Luke's gospel, chapter 20 and verse 4, Jesus later asked his enemies about John's baptism. Was it from God or from human origin or from man? You see, if John had simply copied baptism from some other group or somebody else, they would have said he got it from human origin. He got it from the Essenes or something like that. But they couldn't say that because it was so unique to John's ministry. And John kept telling his disciples that there was going to be someone following him who was going to do more than just immerse in water. Matthew records it in chapter 3, verse 11. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So you might imagine how stunned John was on the day that Jesus of Nazareth came to him to be baptized. Jesus had no sin to repent of. And John said to him, I need to be baptized by you. Jesus said to John, let it be so, for it is proper to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Matthew 3, verse 14. 
Jesus wasn't baptized to repent of his sin, but to set an example, to show us how important this baptism must be. And at the end of Jesus' ministry, he commanded his followers in Matthew 28, verse 20, go and make disciples of all nations, all people, groups, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. In the name of simply means by the authority of. We forget that sometimes. We may end a prayer in the name of. It's by the authority of, through the authority of. So we are commanded here in this sometimes termed great commission to make disciples of as many people as possible and baptize them by the authority of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That's why baptism plays a prominent role here at South Plains Church of Christ. Well, Jim, how was baptism practiced in the early church? Well, gratefully, in these ancient words, we have a a, uh, letter that was the second one penned by Luke. He first penned the Gospel of Luke, and then he penned Acts of the Apostles, it's called. And in that book of Acts, it contains the history of the early church. And I want to just survey for a few minutes some of the stories of those who were surrendering to Jesus as Lord in this, in this book of Acts and pay, pay careful attention to the role of baptism in each of, these, uh, in each of these stories. The first one is in Acts chapter 2. The story is in Jerusalem. It's 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Disciples are in an upper room praying and fasting when suddenly the sound of a mighty wind rushing through and fills the whole house. They saw what looked like tongues of fire that came to rest on each of them. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in foreign languages that they'd never learned. It was a miracle. They were empowered to proclaim and they went out into the streets of Jerusalem and began to tell people about Jesus of Nazareth, who he was and what he's done, risen from the dead. In verse 36 of Acts 2, Peter says to all these people gathered, God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And in verse 41, those who accepted his message were baptized. They believed the message, they repented of their sin, confessed who Jesus was, and were baptized that day. In the 8th chapter of Acts, in verse 12, is a story about a group in Samaria. And uh, it says in verse 12, when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Later in that chapter is the story of the Ethiopian. I rehearsed it, I believe it was last week. When Philip, it says, began with that very passage of scripture in Isaiah and told him the good news about Jesus. And as they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? Verse 38, both Philip and Eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him, and then they came up out of the water. And you might note that the fact they they both went down into the water, and they both came up out of the water. You see, baptism was a reenacting of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's that same story. In the 10th chapter of Acts is the story of the first Gentile. 
Peter went to visit a Roman centurion named Cornelius in the city of Caesarea. Now, he was a God-fearing man, but he was a Gentile, and he did not know about Jesus. So even though he was a Gentile, Peter began to tell him about Jesus. And as Peter was speaking, it said the Holy Spirit came upon Cornelius and all of the people that were in that house. Peter then said in verse 47, Can anybody keep these people from being baptized with water? They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. Now, obviously, it was very similar, if not exactly like what had happened in Acts 2, just as we have, Peter said, literally just as it did on us in the beginning. So he ordered, verse 48, that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. So as soon as Peter was convinced God was going to include Gentiles in the kingdom of God, he commanded them to be baptized. In the 16th chapter of Acts is the story of Lydia. Now, Lydia lived in the city of Philippi. Paul went down to the river looking for a group uh, uh, where he might find the Jewish people meeting, and he found a group of women studying and praying, and he began to tell them about Jesus. Verse 14 says, One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in the purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshiper of God. And the Lord opened her heart, to respond to Paul's message, in verse 15 says, She and the members of her household were baptized. In the 16th chapter of Acts is the story of a jailer also in Philippi. Paul and Silas were in prison in Philippi for, uh, because of, of religious things with the Jews uh, and what they were saying about Jesus. It was an earthquake that released them. The jailer was responsible for the security of the place. He was losing all hope. And Paul said to him in verse 31, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be rescued, saved, you and your household. And then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in the house. And that hour of the night, he and his family were baptized. And then finally, in Acts chapter 22, is the story of Saul of Tarsus. Saul was a Jew of Jews. Pharisee of Pharisees. He hated those who were following Jesus as Messiah. He was persecuting them to death, and he was on his way to Damascus to arrest more of them. He was just outside the city, it says, when a bright light struck him, and he fell to the ground, and he called out, Who are you? And a voice said, I am Jesus, the one whom you're persecuting. And Saul asked, What do you want me to do, Lord? And Jesus told him to go on to Damascus and there he would be told what to do. See, Paul couldn't, Saul at this time couldn't deny the evidence, right? Uh, he, he had seen it himself. He, on the way to Damascus, there's no doubt, he was repenting of his sins. He, he arrived into Damascus in a very humble spirit. And there a follower of Jesus named Ananias came and told him why the Messiah had to die and rise again. And the plan that he had for Saul's life. And then in verse 16 said, Now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, wash away your sins, calling on his name. And so real quickly, there are nine stories recorded here in Acts of people trusting in, of surrendering to Jesus as Lord. And they all begin with faith in him and they all conclude with baptism into Christ.
It was the uh, noted theologian F.F. F. Bruce who wrote in his commentary in Romans, In apostolic times it is plain that baptism followed immediately upon confession of faith in Christ. Faith in Christ and baptism were not so much two distinct experiences as part of the whole. And I think he says it well. Well, one more question. Why did God include baptism? Maybe you've asked that question. I, I have at times. Why did God design this immersion in water as a channel of His grace? Why didn't, why didn't God say, if you want to follow Jesus, why don't you just go to the whiteboard and write, Jesus is, is the Christ a hundred times? Or, or why, why didn't He say, why don't you get a hundred-pound cross and carry it around in your back for several days around town declaring Jesus is Christ? But He didn't. Instead, we find this expression of baptism. And I want to suggest three reasons that meet human needs. One is because it's a meaningful expression of faith. If you will read through the New Testament, the Gospels, you will find that when Jesus healed people, almost always he asked them to express their faith, didn't he? He was the, he, he, uh, he was the one who healed them. But he said to the man who had the withered hand, stretch forth your hand, expressing his faith. He said to the leper, go show yourself to the priest and you will be healed. He said to the blind man, go wash in the pool of Siloam and you'll be able to see. Jesus was the one who healed them, but he asked for some expression of faith from them. This psychologist of the last century, great name, who William James said this, an impression without an expression leads to depression. An impression without an expression leads to depression. When we're impressed by something, there needs to be an outlet of expression. If we grieve, God has given us tears to cry. If we're tickled, He's given us laughter. And all of us have experienced that probably in the middle of church somewhere when it's inappropriate and you get tickled by something the preacher missaid and, you, and you're trying not to laugh as you tell your child, behave. It's hard. <laughs> and if we're startled, you gasp or you scream. If we fall in love, there's the intimacy of marriage. When we believe the message of Jesus and we're convicted of sin in our lives, we need to express our faith, and baptism meets that need of expression. When asked, what shall we do, Peter didn't say, well, don't do anything. No, he said, repent and be baptized. Some try to substitute other acts that may be less demanding or may seem a bit more dignified, like maybe sign a card or kneel and pray or raise your hand if you want to give yourself to Jesus. But n none of those quite meet the need of expression, nor, nor the test of, of these ancient words, Scripture, that baptism does. I've never had anybody come up out of the baptistry and say, okay, well, is there anything else I need to do to trust Jesus? I think there's, there's a sense of completeness about it, that, that you've, you've, you've taken these steps and, and you have come to this point. Now, some would say, well, if you tell people that, Jim, you'll teach them they're being saved by works rather than by grace, being saved by what they do rather than by what Jesus did. 
But my question is, well, what do you teach them? Because saying a sinner's prayer or signing a card, the truth is baptism is actually less a work than saying a prayer or signing a card because you do those things. Baptism is actually something you submit to. Somebody else does that to you. Somebody else is the one who baptizes you. It is an act of submission. We don't do it to ourselves. It's something people do, somebody else does to us or for us. Expression of faith. Let me also suggest it's a symbol of cleansing. When, when you're dirty, you wash your body in water to cleanse it. When baptized in water, it's a symbol. It's, it's a reenactment of the cleansing that takes place in the heart by the blood of Jesus Christ. Think of all the people in, in Scripture who have struggled with guilt. All, all the way from Adam, who hid from God, David, who pled for forgiveness in his adultery, Peter, who was weeping over his denial, Judas, who hung himself over his betrayal, Pilate, who tried to wash the blood of Jesus off his hands. When you're guilty, what do you do with that sense of guilt? Well, the Hebrew writer in Hebrews 10.22 said, Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from the guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. The water of baptism doesn't cleanse us of sin. It is a reenactment of the fact that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from within. In fact, in 1 Peter 3, Peter says Noah was saved by water when the water buoyed up the ark that he was in. And in verse 21, he said, The water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand. Ananias said to Saul of Tarsus, who was a murderer, You believe in Jesus? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And then thirdly, it's a source of fellowship, source of unity. You know, Brian mentioned that even in our communion time. I think it's a shame that baptism has become such a source of controversy among God's people. Far from being a source of division, God meant for it to be a source of unity, of harmony. Paul wrote to those in Ephesus, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as we were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. We need to remember that we are one, not because of something we've accomplished, but because of failure. We are one, not because of pride that we have, but because, by admission of a mistake. Every one of us can meet those coming up the stairs of the baptistry and say, you know, I've sinned too. You know, I've, I've hum had to humble my humbled myself too. I've surrendered to Jesus too. And being one, we have found a bond of love. When we are baptized, it is into Christ. And he adds us to his family, to his fellowship, and calls us to keep the unity. Baptism meets our need for an expression of fellowship, an expression of belonging to others.
and with others. Some of you may remember the, uh, the long-ago uh, radio personality, Paul Harvey, who was, was almost well-known all, all across the country. I think probably many of us still remember him. He had a distinct voice, distinct way of telling stories, and he wrote about his, his baptism. Here's what he said. Having received almost every reward in broadcasting, I still felt empty inside. I believed in Jesus, but I'd never done anything about it. So while on vacation in Arizona, he and his wife attended a small church where the preacher announced his subject that day was baptism. Harvey said, I yawned, expecting to be bored, but I found it very interesting. He went on, he went on to go forward that day and was baptized, and here's how he related it in his own words. The preacher had said, there's nothing magic in the water. Yet as I descended into the depths and rose again, I knew something had changed, something had happened in my life, a cleansing inside and out. The change the simple act made in my life is so immense as to be indescribable. Since totally yielding to him in baptism, my heart can't stop singing. Almost, also, perhaps, because baptism is such a public act, and because one's dignity gets as drenched as one's body, I discovered a new unself-consciousness in talking about my beliefs. He closed with these words. The other evening when I was on a speaking trip, I was flying over West Texas and looking at the beautiful sunset. My heart swelled with joy in my new surrender, and I thought, how wonderful. We have all of this and heaven too. Are you really confident this morning in your relationship with God that you have hope, healing, and redemption in Jesus? If not, I would urge you to believe in Jesus, to trust in him, not in yourself. To repent of your sin and turn and walk towards him. Be willing to publicly confess his name and be baptized into Christ. If you've already been baptized into Christ, then let me call you to give thanks for the cleansing of his blood. We'll close together in a song this morning. If you desire to declare your faith and be baptized into Christ, we would love nothing better than to assist you. If you want to talk about that, if you want to look, study more, we would love nothing better than that as well. Many of us are here who would be happy to do that. But this time, we're going to stand and remind ourselves of the great salvation we have in Jesus. Let's stand and sing. Thanks for listening. Again, I want to encourage you to visit southplains.info. There you'll find event calendars, important announcements, ways to give, and to request prayer. Thank you for joining us.